Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. Today, our guest is R. Eric Thomas. Eric is the author of Here For It, or How to Save Your Soul in America, which is a collection of essays about his life as a queer Black Christian in the United States. Eric is also a senior staff writer at L.com, where he writes a comedic column called Eric Reads the News. We talk today about empathy, pop culture, and the lasting legacy of timely books. As is always the case, everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. Okay, now it's time for my conversation with author R. Eric Thomas. All right, you guys, I'm here with R. Eric Thomas. Let me just start here. You go by Eric, right? I do, yeah. Okay, yeah. great. I did. I wasn't sure. I didn't want to be like our Eric, and you know. No, everybody asked. I didn't realize uh, that it would be a thing in my life, and I'm like, it's my parents' fault. You know, right. they named me a Robert Eric, and then they just called me Eric, and I'm like, you know, this has complicated every interaction I've had through my entire <laughs> life. I love that. Okay, Eric, welcome to the stacks. Um, we're gonna start where we always start. Thirty seconds or so. Can you tell us just about your book? Here for it. Yeah, sure. The book's called Here For It or How to Save Your Soul in America. It's a collection of humorous essays about uh, identity and um, belonging. Uh, It takes uh, different positions of otherness and moves them to the center. Uh, So I didn't want to, just because I have a marginalized identity, I didn't want to always be on the margins. And so it's about uh, the intersections of uh, Black identity, queer identity, Christian identity, American identity. And they're all funny essays. So if you like Samantha Irby or you like David Sedaris or David Rakoff, um, uh, it's very much in that vein. That's amazing. We had Samantha Irby on the podcast a few weeks ago, and she talked about how great you are and how great um, your book is. So I, I'm obsessed with her. Me too. She, she's amazing. I was very nervous. I was like, I hope she's cool. And as soon as we started talking, I was like, oh, we could be best friends now or right. in like 20 minutes. Either way, I'm open. <laughs> I'm available. <laughs> no, she's so great. And she had so many kind things to say about you both on the episode. And then afterwards, when I made her stay on the phone and talk to me for another 20 minutes. Oh my you know. gosh. I, <laughs> that's really flattering. I'm very, you know, yes. she's, she's deeply, deeply generous. Yeah, she really is. Okay. More about you. So I love that you said that the way that you or the, um, kind of what the book is, is bringing all your different identities to the center, because I think that so often when authors who are quote unquote marginalized or othered write their books, it feels like they're trying to prove a point about mm-hmm. who they are. And it, your book felt so wholly, fully you centered and it felt so wholly, fully about your story and that you really are your own whole complete person. And I love that you said that because I really felt that. And I'm curious if it was challenging for you to to write like that, just knowing how other voices are often perceived or encouraged to write or if that was a challenge for you or if it just came kind of naturally? Um, a little of both, but mostly it was a challenge. Um, I had to tap into um, the mentality of the version of myself before I realized that, before the world convinced me that I was different and weird and mm. had to always explain myself. Um, and I had to go back to a place of of innocence about um about who I am. And, it, you know, those innocent places come at different times for different identities. Mm-hmm. Um, there were a lot of points where there were some stories where I, I've told them enough um, and I'm comfortable enough with them that uh, I knew 
that even though it was a very specific experience um, rooted in my identities, uh, they uh, the experiences were also universal because of their their specificity. But then there were other instances, usually around um, uh, talking about um, uh, growing up um, and talking about uh, the way I identify as a black person and like the financial circumstances of growing up that I found myself explaining myself to the reader mm. as if the reader um, was somebody who didn't grow up like I did. And my editor would, you know, Sarah Weiss at um, and Ballantyne would uh, uh, would send me notes back and say, like, you don't have to explain, uh, you know, you don't have to presume that the reader is not like you. Like, that's the whole point of this book is to, like, to let the reader know that no matter what our demographic differences or sameness is, we're human. And that's the point. Right. Um, so it was really, really empowering. So half the book was like me just being like centered in my own narrative. And half the point was me like peeking out from the corner and being like, could you possibly understand what it is to grow up? I can't imagine. <laughs> did um, you, how did you make that shift for the ones that were more challenging? How did you shift your thinking to be more just like, this is me? Well, I asked myself, I would seriously go by line by line or paragraph by paragraph and ask myself if this was, if I was telling the story to myself or I was telling the story to my family or who, or to people who live this experience with me, what, where would I what what places would I be redundantly explaining mm. or what places would I um, be drop code switching? Um, uh, Paul Mooney, a, a comedian, has this great quote where he talks about how black comedians have like two voices. There's one for um, uh, uh, the, the folks like, you know, like generally white folks, you know, the general audience, quote unquote. Um, and there's one for just us. Mm. Um, and he's like, I'm a just us comedian. I'm, on, I'm only talking to us. And I try to ask myself, literally word by word, is this a just us word? Because um, I feel like when you're always, when you speak in a just us parlance, whether it's like a sort of speaking to um, a certain understanding or using colloquialisms or whatever it is, you're inviting the reader to experience empathy. Um, oh. And even if they don't necessarily understand a particular word or they're like, I didn't know that people ate that or did those kind of things. One, Google exists. And two, <laughs> good writing, you know, gives you enough context to understand, um, to sort of get the gist. And then, and from the gist, you get the sort of larger picture, I think. Right. And I feel like in doing that, your reader is also feels closer to you or more endeared to you. Like if you can do it well. Yeah, yeah, which, I think so. Yeah, I think I think what you also did. Like, I I feel like I know you, and I know that I don't. But I definitely, <laughs> I I think in in the way that you use language, and also the way that you use pop culture and just cultural references, to me, I mean, I think we're we're of a similar age, and maybe that's part of it. But to me, it just felt like, oh, I'm reading this book that my friend wrote because mm -hmm. they're talking about the things that I talk about, or like the things that that I care about. Yeah. No, I, I, and I appreciate that. I mean, that was, the goal sort of was, I just wanted, to, I was so lonely when I wrote this book and I was like, I just want some more friends. <laughs> so I wrote a whole book about it. Um, <laughs> I'll be your friend. That, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Right, check one more. Um, but I also feel like using pop culture for me, one, that's just sort of the way I think, but two, I think it is another one of those uh, just us languages where, and I grew up identifying with pop culture that was specifically geared toward me, what little of it there was, and also identifying with pop culture and finding myself in pop culture that was about, you know, Marty McFly or whatever, you right. know, somebody who demographically was not like me at all. Um, and I feel like pop culture is a great equalizer in that if you say this is for me, then even if the, even if it wasn't made for me, um, I, I've, I've created a small act of justice in 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 saying I claim this. I claim Marty McFly. Right. He and I are living the same life. And so when we talk about pop culture, when I say, "Hey, you remember that thing that happened? You remember was there room on the door in Titanic?" and everyone's like, "I've got an opinion on that." Also, <laughs> right. we're on equal footing, you know. Right. Yeah. It is a it's a total equalizer if you're speaking the same kind of language around mm -hmm. pop culture. Yeah, that's so that's so true. And I love that you said empathy also because that is. That is, it really is a way to connect with people. Um, and then there are people who are too good for pop culture and you're like, you're not my people, but I gotta go. <laughs> right. like, we can't be friends. Hi. 
<laughs> right. I also kind of feel like people who are like, oh, you know, whatever. I, I don't like things that are cool. It's like, okay, th- whatever you like, that's still pop culture. Like, right. even if you like the most niche thing, even if you're like only Brahms for me. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, Brahms is popular at some point. Yeah, so. it just it's like a more dated pop culture. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And there are people for you if you're that person. But yeah. I am not your people. <laughs> you can just turn the podcast off right now just kidding just kidding so one of the things in this that at least I felt like we said that I felt like I knew you and I felt really connected to you and that you are very vulnerable in the book and you mix in a lot of humor but there are some really gut-wrenching essays and really beautiful not like emotional but not like the essay here for it about your wedding mm-hmm. that essay is so moving and so hopeful and so open and I it it really I, it connected with me I read it and then I listened to it on your audiobook mm-hmm. because I wanted to hear you say the words mm-hmm. and I'm just curious how hard is it for you to get that vulnerable and that open in your writing most of the time to be honest most of the time it is surprisingly easy you know like if I have worked through whatever I am writing about and that's sort of the test for me it's like if I'm like tiptoeing into it and I haven't worked it worked through it in therapy enough and I'm like I don't want to talk about this oh I feel weird I'm like well you better close the essay close the document and go get some do some work um but you know there's there's the phrase um Robert Harling wrote in Steel Magnolias, um, and you know, that's you know, credited to uh, Dolly Parton's character in the movie. She says, "Laughter through tears is my favorite emotion," yeah. um, and you know, which is also you know very Chekhovian, and like, and that's the way I feel. I, I love, I love being able to dive uh, in uh, into a, a deeper level of emotion, and I think that's both comedic and also um, uh, sort of cathartic. Um, and so, being able to say like, "This is the way I felt." Uh, is freeing for me um, because I don't have to play a role. I don't have to play uh, a role based on, you know, who, what people's stereotypical thoughts of what I might be or do um, are. I just have to be a full human being. And I really, really enjoy that. Uh, now, you know, I say that and like most of the stories in this book, I have, you know, I've worked on for years and years and years. And, you know, now I'm like sort of on the precipice of planning a, another book of essays about yeah. things that are much more recent. And so we'll see. I'll, my next book will be like, I had no thoughts about that. And yeah. it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it was fine. Life is great. Thank you for coming. Exactly. Not, I'm not going there. Thanks so much. Thank you for buying my book. It's a sentence. Yeah. Um, where did you start writing this book? You said you've been working on these essays for years. So wh- what was the first one? Oh, it was probably so I started a lot of the essays as stories that I would tell uh, at like open mic storytelling shows um, like The Moth or an organization called First Person Arts in Philly. Um, And so I think one of the first that I told frequently was, I guess, the softball story of of Ball So Soft Um, that uh, that it's and it's funny because I when I started writing the book. I had told the story live many times and sort of, you know, perfected it. I saw it on stage and then I put it into a a one person show. And so I'd written it out as a script. um, And uh, I was like, great. So I'm just going to take the script and put it right in the book. And Mm. when I put it in, I realized I was a different person. The context was different and I couldn't just cheat my way into having a a free essay. So I had to like start from scratch. So I think, yeah, the softball story was, the first, I don't know, where did, what was the first, like, when I started, like, I sat down to write the book. Oh, um, well, for the, in the proposal, um, I wrote uh, the essay, which became the audacity, writing about um, uh, the beginning of my L column. Mm. Um, and so I, that was one of the proposal essays. Um, and, it, you know, it served as sort of an introduction to who I am and what I'm about. And that was the original introduction to the book. And then we realized we wanted to go in a different direction. Do you have you mentioned in, about the softball essay that when it was a script and it's evolved and your relationship to it has evolved? Do you worry at all about these essays over time, like how they how you will feel about them in a year or in six years or in 10 years because they are a static thing in a book as opposed to a show or a, a, a performance, you could always kind of edit it or change it if you revived it. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's my greatest fear. It's okay. like deeply. It's like <laughs> it's it's it keeps me up at night. One of the things that was interesting is you know, there's there's one essay that I I think I would take another pass at in the book. Um, and enough. You're gonna tell us passed. which one? No, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Um, I had to uh, ask. I had to ask. My gosh. I'll tell you, like, and the thing is, the reason I I would take another pass is just, I I think, um, I think there's more jokes to to fit into the, um, the, the essay comforters. Um, And, um, and that was a really early one, too. um, And that had started off as a, as a blog post. Um, So, uh, but for the most part, I feel good about the book. But I will say enough time had passed between the final pass pages and recording of the audio book that when I sat down to read the audiobook, I was like surprised by certain things wow. in the book. I was like, oh, this is interesting writing. So I, I hope that I continue to be surprised by it and give myself enough grace as time goes on to um, uh, to say like, this is the person that I was at this point and this is how I communicated it. External validation really helps. Like if yeah. the book had bombed, I think three, you know, five years from now, I'd be like, well, these were all terrible essays, even if they weren't. Right. But I think, you know, I think I'll look back and say like, oh, I would have told that in a different way. Um, but I think for the most part, we went through such a long process of editing and, uh, you know, Sarah and Elena Valentine and my agent, Anna Sparlatimer are, uh, they're all just so brilliant. I really, I, I hope that this book is like, is my own anxiety proof you know mm, we'll see i don't know cool. what do other people do do you ask that question a lot of authors who um i do when people write things that are kind of more like essays in the moment i don't do it so much when people write fiction because i sometimes feel like fiction i i don't know sometimes i do and people never people never have the same answer um i think a lot of people are are have their own different anxieties and fears about their book. Um, I just know if it was me who I'm, I'm not a writer, but if it was me, I would probably feel cringy about things in the moment, but I feel cringy about old episodes of this podcast. So I think that's just like, that's my own shit, you know? Yeah. But I think that your book, what's cool is that it is kind of a time capsule of this moment. And I think sometimes that can be really awesome with essays um, and because your book starts when you're young and kind of goes more to the present, some of the essays feel very much not of the moment, you know, like mm-hmm. you're reflecting on. So I think I think it'll last. I think it will stand the test of time as as an example of this moment in time. Mm, well, you know? I hope so. Yeah. And I think it's also sort of looking at everything in context. You know, it's like I hope my, my, I hope the best case scenario, I think, for any writing is that, it, you know, it ages out of its context and right. it becomes something that you like hold on to and look at, look back at and say like, this is a time capsule, like you say. And, um, and it, there's value uh, inside of it. Mm. Um, the worst case scenario is to say like, Oh, those people were not very, um, uh, those people were not very woke back in the past and we sure. can't read this book anymore. And I might like, I don't think, you know, my hope is sure. that that's not what, is in this book, and I don't think that's what it is. Um, and so, from and I a think craft, both things can be true, also. That's true, also. Yeah, there's you know, there's definitely value for things that you're like, okay, you have to pinch your nose as you read this, but like, you know, there's craft in here, right? But I think from a craft perspective, I know that I'm, uh, I believe that I'm a better writer um, now than I was when I wrote the book. Was so it's exciting for me to move to an, another phase, but I also believe in the craft that I put into this book, and. And I think about the way, you know, w- the authors that I'm, um, that I really love and following their careers, you know, I, I think there's always times where you like an author you're really excited about, they put out, you know, six or 12th or whatever book and you're like, I didn't love that one. Right. But there's also times where you go back and you're like, oh, I love their first book. And you can see the seeds of all the other books in that. Um, but, uh, and they write differently now, but that's because they're different. And I think particularly for essayists, I think about David Sedaris a lot. The way he wrote in Me Talk Pretty one day is so different from Calypso, but they're also about such different experiences of life. Right. So I think one of my challenges for myself as, as going forward, particularly in the essay field, not so much in fiction, is to listen to where I am in the moment and mm. let that guide the tools that I'm using to build the essays. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense because you have to give yourself the permission to change and grow and not to feel like this is 
this is all you are, this book, right? Um, One of the things that I definitely noticed about uh, in this book, which I'm sure if you've talked to people since, I don't know, mid-March, people have (laughs) caught on to, is that pandemic moment. I know. How, like, you, first of all, you say that you're born of Immaculate Conception and then you prophecy a pandemic. I'm just saying, I'm with you. Right? I'm like, like first of all, put me on TV. Like, yes. because of- <laughs> like we're going to do See Your Future with Eric Thomas. <laughs> I have predictions. My, I, I wish, I mean, I wish I had better predictions. Yeah, I, writing that essay, um, The Past Smell Terrible, you know, where I write about all these different kinds of dystopian futures, I like, I, I never imagined that I would live through any of those because one, I say in the essay, I don't want to live through any of these. Right. And like, you know, my husband is interesting as right when we started quarantining, I have this joke in the essay and I say it all the time at parties or whatever. It really never goes over well, but I'm always <laughs> like, you know, and if there's a dystopia, if we you know, if there's an, uh, the apocalypse comes the minute the cable goes out, I'm, I'm out, I'm taking myself out of the world. And so, like, you know, we first day of quarantine, he, like, turns on the TV. He's like, all right, cable's still on, so you're still here. And I was like, yes, all right, I'm, all right, I hear what you're saying. I will write out this dystopia. But the yeah. next one, no, indeed. No. Oh, my God. I was listening to that essay, and I was like, did he just, I need to go, I need to go back for a second. I just need to I, know if he's predicting that they're, like, it, I mean, not predicting, but you, I mean, to be listening to anybody talk about something that's happening in the moment when you, when I know that you wrote it before. Mm-hmm. Like that was, it was trippy for me. I was like, yo, what's happening? Right. I want to talk a little bit more about your process as a writer. But first, mm-hmm. I want to talk about the title of this book. I want to know how you decided which essay to use as the title and if you had other title options. Yeah. Um. So the essay was actually titled after the book. Um, oh. I, I don't know that I had, a, I knew, I knew exactly how the book was going to end before I started it. Um. And I knew that I had to work work up to it. But I think the essay was originally called The Preacher's Husband, which is a mm. now, it, and it was a much longer, it was the essay that is currently called The Preacher's Husband. And it just had all of the, the Here For It essay tacked okay. on. And so it was like a novella in the middle of my book. Okay. Um, the original title was Why Bother? Um, and it had no uh, punctuation on it. And I really liked the amb- ambiguity of that. And uh, it was also sort of influenced, I think, by what happened by Hillary Clinton. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that Why Bother makes the same offer to the reader that Here For It makes, but on the other side. What I wanted to, the, the, the thought that I wanted to provoke with both titles, Here For It and Why Bother, is the possibility that you don't have to be in this life. You don't have to be alive. You don't have to be around. You don't have to participate. So presuming, accepting that existence is a choice, you know, um, and that you can, you can die at any moment and you can you know, take yourself out at any moment or just remove yourself from society. Why are you, uh, why bother? Why are you here? You know, right. my uh, agent wisely pointed out that people won't, people will be approaching this book not knowing me and not knowing like my cadence and my style. So why right. bother is going to seem a little pessimistic. Um, a friend of mine, Amber Hikes, who uh, is uh, now works for the, um, uh, oh, she uh, does a lot of uh, great work in uh, LGBTQ equality. And I can't remember the name of the organization she works for, um, but she's an amazing person. And she, um, for, I've known her for years and she always says, you know, when she likes something, she's like, I am here for it. I'm here for that. And she's mm. the first person that I ever um, heard use that phrase. And it's pretty common now, I guess. And I loved, I, I love the, that there's duality in that phrase too. You can just sort of say, I'm here for it. I'm present. You know, I'm, I'm letting the, the, the waves of time wash over me. Um, or you could say, I am, I am enthusiastically right. for that. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, we had a couple other uh, sort of uh, thoughts around between why bother and here for it that I can't remember, but here for it became really clear. And then um, how to save your soul in America, the subtitle uh, sort of, I, I realized that I wanted something that felt too big for the book. You know, I wanted something that was like this. My ambition here is not just telling you a story about bl- growing up black, gay and Christian in, in America. My ambition here is to talk to you about the soul of this country um, and to ask you, are you, uh, are you an, 
are you invested in saving the soul of, of this country or saving your own soul inside of this country through the simple act of storytelling and uh, and showing up? Right. So. Yeah, no, I think it works. I, I love here for it. I think, I think it's great. And I definitely had the moment of like, I'm here for this. Like I, <laughs> I thought that. So I feel like you nailed it. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode is brought to you in part by Noom. Forget one-size-fits-all diets. With Noom, you get a personalized weight loss plan that's tailored to your lifestyle. No food is off-limits. Enjoy your favorites while discovering healthier habits. Noom's users love the flexible approach, blending psychology and biology to help you lose weight in a way that's sustainable for you. And great news for foodies. Noom just released the Noom Kitchen Cookbook, with 100 delicious, healthy recipes. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. Grab your copy of The Noom Kitchen wherever books are sold. How do you balance, or how did you balance writing for L.com, your column, Eric Reads the News, and writing this book? Um, I honestly, you know, I don't, I look back and I'm like, I don't know how I did all that because okay. L takes all day, you know, right. like it's, it's monitoring the news. It's writing about it. It's, you know, thinking through jokes. It's, it's a full, you know, eight hour work day. Um, I would write in the mornings a lot. I would write in the, I'd write late in the evening. Um, uh, but I, and so mostly I was squeezing in, um, the essay writing time, uh, you know, from like six to 12, six mm -hmm. to one um, at night, I set myself uh, daily and weekly writing goals uh, okay. on Scrivener, which I use. Um, and that worked pretty well. I like, I'm good with gamification. Um, mm -hmm. But at one point I was like behind a little bit and I wasn't, and it was very important to me to make my deadline. Um, and so I, I rented an Airbnb in Southern Maryland and I said, I'm just going to take a couple of days off of work or maybe it was on, I think it was maybe a Memorial Day Herald day. And I took like three days and just like locked myself in the cabin with like no Wi-Fi, And I, I banged out a couple of essays and it was one of the essays, um, uh, was, uh, was the one about Kanye West that, um, uh, take it's, um, 
it required so much <laughs> revision. We like we've gone back and forth with the essay so much. So I was like, I don't really know if this weekend away was worth it because I <laughs> I turned in a, like a draft of an essay that uh, was uh, unusable uh, for a long time. But um, but uh, yeah, I it was just a lot of robbing Peter to pay Paul in terms right. of my sleep schedule. Right, right. Because yeah, oh my god, wait that essay about Kanye West. I loved because I love that album so much. My beautiful dark yes. twisted fantasy and. Not only do I love the album, but you name checked my guy, Cole Kushna from the Dissect yes. podcast that nobody knows about except for apparently you and I, because I am obsessed with that podcast. Me too. It's so good. It's so smart. He, I'm like, Cole, you're like, he should be, he should have like a nightly show. Like Cole's I a get genius. So much out of Mm-hmm. The only thing about Cole is that he's such a nerd. And when he says N-word like a thousand times, it makes my skin crawl. And he says some words wrong, which makes me laugh. And like, yeah. I'm obsessed with it. Like, There's... what's the word he always says wrong? Yes. Oh, my God. Like, it's on the tip of my tongue because I think about it all the time because I'm like, that is not how you say it. And yet you, he's obsessed with that word. There's yeah. one word. I can't remember. Oh my my husband knows. And we, he, my husband does a great Cole Kushner impression. And you know he's doing Lemonade right now. No, I didn't know that. So he's doing lemonade. I haven't. So I'm in Oakland. I'm from LA. I live in LA. I'm from Oakland. I'm in Oakland right now. Long story short. But on my drive back tomorrow, back to LA, I am have saved up all the episodes so far and I'm going to listen. But he does not only the album, but also like the visual album oh thing gosh. that oh, she did. No, the the rest movie. Of my day is, oh, yeah. I'm so excited. I didn't, yeah. I've like lost track of him i think he moved over to spotify and he like did. you know the platforms i was like oh, i don't know where you are i don't know what to do and he did some no, things I'm... that weren't great but that my beautiful dr said fantasy season is unreal masterpiece i actually uh, listened to the runaway episodes on my drive up here i re-listened mm-hmm. to them because they're so good yes I mean, when he does uh the lost in the world episode also it's just so brilliant and oh, the and power just... episode that you talk oh, about gosh. yeah 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 it's I so, so good much, but... It's so incredible. It's so good. I like, uh, uh, I freaking love that podcast. Gives me chills. It made me love the album that I already loved so much, so mm-hmm. much more and yeah, like appreciate yeah. it. And he's just a brilliant person. He's just brilliant. So I was really excited because I, you started talking about it and I was like, oh, I wonder if he um, has <laughs> like heard of, di- maybe I'll tell him about Dissect when I interview him. And then it was like music theorist, Cole Kushner. And I was like, yeah, Cole, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh seriously i could listen to musicologists and poets talk about their work and talk about their thinking all day long because it just yeah. opens up a part of my brain that does not exist exactly i feel the same way when people talk about stuff that i don't quite understand but i'm into mm-hmm. i'm like wow like going through the chord progressions and what they mean and mm-hmm. it's like yo cole can you just teach me about all my favorite songs right like he should do it where you can just request a song like can you tell me about this song like <laughs> Like That's cameo, but for songs from Cole. Oh my gosh, I'd be so smart. Hello. So I'm a genius. I'm just going to let him know. I'm going to give you this idea. I'll take 10%. It's fine. It's over. Congratulations. You're a superstar. Oh <laughs> um, okay, wait. I want to know about your writing setup when you're writing. Where mm-hmm. are you? What are you eating? What are you drinking? What are you? Do you have a candle lit? Like, what's your vibe? Do you have rituals? Do you have to be in one place? Like, tell me about your space. I'm a chaos Muppet and I'm really sad about it Um, (laughs) because I work from home um, and uh, we moved midway through me writing this book. I've never had like an office. Um, So I write in bed. I write on the sofa. I wrote in coffee shops in the acknowledgements. I write all, I list all the places that I, I, some of the places I wrote, like I wrote on Amtrak trains, back of Ubers. One time I got a, a good idea as I was driving back actually from my weekend away and so I parked my car at a Chick-fil-A parking lot, got into the backseat of my car, plugged my uh, computer in because I have a hybrid, and just wrote in the backseat of my car. Oh like, my a, like truly deranged. Um, <laughs> so I, I can't really listen to music. Okay. Uh, especially music with words. Okay. Uh, although, uh, although the you know, paper sing through the wall, the essay about Kanye was the exception. I was constantly in conversation with uh, the music there. Um, I can't like... I wish I could watch TV at the same time as I was writing. I feel like I'd get so much more done. Yeah. Um, I like a lot of media, like writers are like, oh yeah, I watched this and I wrote this. And I'm like, I need, I don't need absolute silence. I just need like neutral, you yeah. know, like coffee shop style. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big snacker. Uh, I love tasty cakes. So I'm just okay. constantly like, but I'm like, but I don't want to like, you know, I've recently gotten really into like chips um, uh, over quarantine and I'm like, 
okay, but now my keyboard is covered yes. in grease, so I'm trying to like re- you know retain some semblance of being a human being. Right. But it's a mess. Like I <laughs> I I don't I don't have any like set ritual rituals. I write on my phone. I write on the notes app. I write on Evernote. It's chaos. <laughs> but you can keep track. I guess I do a whole lot of like. I do a whole lot of searching on my computer, my phone, where I'm like, okay, I had a note about this somewhere. Mm. And I'm like, I like search like hair, Luther Vandross, where's that? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. I mean, we all search hair, Luther Vandross. Like, so you're not, you know, it's right. like very casual. It's like every day, every day I just go in my phone. I'm like, hey, Siri, where's, oh, she's going to, she went on. My Siri just turned oh, no. on. She's, she's like, how can I help you? Uh, hair, Luther Vandross, lady. You know, you know the drill. Uh, <laughs> wait, okay. We have to talk about your job at L.com, your column, Eric Reads the News, because you came to this like dream job from a mm-hmm. Facebook post. Yes, it's outrageous. Like, and people come, you know, ask me to come and talk to their classes or whatever. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> always happy. I'll do any appearance, but I don't have any advice. I'm like, I wrote a viral Facebook post in 2016, June of 2016, and, you know, it went super, like, super viral. Like, I mean, I guess I don't know what super viral is anymore, but it was, like, you know, shared hundreds of thousands of times uh, on Facebook. And my editor, my former, the former site director of L, saw it, sent me a message on Facebook, which I saw, which now I'm like, I don't even know where to find messages on Facebook anymore. Right. She was like, hey, do you want to, like, give this a shot? And so I freelanced for a year just writing the column. We didn't know what it was. We didn't know what it was going to be. She just had enough vision and confidence in me that she was like, I see Hmm. that you can comment on current events in a way that is unique and interesting. So do you want to try it out? And uh, I've been writing, I've I've been writing every day, you know, since, uh, since then, since July 4th of 2016, which is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. Because also, and like, this should be said, Who's actually on Facebook? Right. <laughs> like, like that's the thing that was so crazy to me. I was like, he must have done this in 2008 when everybody was on Facebook. Mm-hmm. But like, I go on Facebook every once in a while. So it's crazy. Like, to go viral on Facebook is even more crazy. Right. I mean, like, like now I think all the only things that are viral on Facebook are like conspiracy videos and like right. weird memes that were popular like three years ago. Right. So I don't know. Right. It was, it was. So, I mean, like, my book is full of magic, you know, from, right. like, the immaculate conception to the prediction of the pandemic to uh, to this job. And, uh, one, that feels great, um, but it's also very strange because I don't know how to make it keep happening, you know? <laughs> right, right. Do you, like, are you, were, did you always want to write? Like, was that something that you always wanted to do? or Or was this something where she kind of approached you and you were like, I mean, okay. I know you say in the book that you worked at the newspaper and like, I know that writing has been a part of your life, but was this something that you had envisioned for yourself as a goal? Or was this something that just came to you and turned out to be this amazing opportunity and experience? Well, it's funny because I, I, I think I had nascent dreams of something like this, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I think a lot of, uh, a lot of beginning writers, um, particularly if you have, like, if you write humor or you have a perspective, you think, oh, I'd love a column, you know, I've, and I pitched a column to the Philadelphia Gay, uh, Philadelphia Gay News at one point, And they were like, you know, no, thank you. Um, and other, a couple other sites. And um, I, I understand that impulse. I know why I had that impulse. But it's also like, I understand why people were like, thanks, but no thanks, because mm-hmm. a column is uh, quite a commitment to, to, from both the, the paper and from the writer. Um, and you it takes a really specific perspective. So mm-hmm. I think by the time I got the offer, I no longer had that as a dream because it just seemed impractical. Um, I, I don't know. I never really wanted to write for a newspaper um, okay. uh, or a magazine, you know, um, uh, beyond like uh, reviews you know, of like concerts, which I was doing occasionally in freelancing. Um, I just wanted to write books and I didn't know how. So, so, you know, this, this occurrence was both a fulfillment of a dream and also something that was like totally outside of my Hmm. wheelhouse and desire, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, also you are credited with Auntie Maxine. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's wild. My husband has this genius idea to make a website that is like all these different memes and pop culture references and explains them like, you know, like, um, 
like the little black boy who's like standing in the white shirt and like looking like kind of skeptical like where's mm-hmm. he from or like yeah. the nick young um like the basketball player like all the different memes it's like i know this meme but like where did it come from and i feel mm-hmm. like auntie maxine i would have never known like i would have never known that someone came up with that and seeing that it was you i was like oh my god that's so cool you're like a meme a meme stan a meme maker right. Well, it's so weird because like I wasn't trying, and it's, right. it's so funny. It's from like a throwaway line in the in the piece I wrote about her, and it, people just picked up on it. And I think it's also like I was referencing like a, a larger idea, like culturally, like right. uh, auntie culture. And so it wasn't, you know, like I think it was just a, sort of the perfect storm of things. Um, and like for a while, I was like, I don't know, did I start this? Um, but then Maxine Waters uh, was like, you started the Auntie Maxine thing. <laughs> right, because like, oh. then you got to meet her and like go like do a panel with her. Right, which is again, so cool. a thing that I'm like, yeah, I'd love to talk to a representative. And then it happens. I'm like, oh, I was not expecting this to happen to me. Right. Um, she's amazing. Um, and, uh, and, you know, now my, my next book is uh, it's a biography of her that I cover with Helena Andrews Dyer. Oh um, it's called Recla- uh, Reclaiming Her Time. And it's, you know, it's, it's a, of a book uh, about her life and her work and her wisdom. And again, that came about because, like, in the most random way. You know, I, I wrote about her enough times and those things went viral and uh, became part of the zeitgeist. And then a couple of years later, someone approached me and was like, do you want to put this into a full book? Um, and, uh, and, and it seemed like the right time. When does that come out? Do you know? Yeah, it comes out uh, October 20, uh, I believe October 20th of 2020. Oh, oh my gosh. So soon. Yeah, yeah. How exciting. Well, congratulations. I didn't even realize it was coming so soon. Um, yeah. That's awesome. It's it's like you're, you are the manifestation of, guess what, people? Dreams come true. Right, kind right. of nice to know. I mean, right now it's such a crazy time and things feel so bleak. Like, mm-hmm. it's so nice to know that, like, yeah good things happen to people. And that's awesome. So thank you for existing. We need you. <laughs> Protect Eric at all costs. We need him. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I also just love that it's like, it's all these things that I wasn't verbalizing the the dream that I, that got fulfilled, but it was like the dream that I needed, you know, yeah. my father's, you know, my father likes to joke. He's like, you're an overnight sensation, 39 years in the making. And I'm like, that's not the compliment you think it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he means it with love. But it's it's sort of true. It's like I wanted, I wanted, you know, to be 22 years old and to have like a best-selling novel. Right. Um, and I didn't have the life or the tools for that. And I still don't have a best, you know, I have a, well, this actually here did was uh, an indie, uh, indie bestseller, which I'm very grateful to independent that's booksellers awesome. out there. Um, but like the path was so different. Um, and so when, when I think about like, oh, dreams coming true and I think about, well, what dreams do I have for my writing career, for my life coming up? I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, how do I even dare to dream? Hmm. Because the, the universe life has so many, so many different ideas. Um, and, and those ideas can be really wonderful if, if, you know, you lean into it. Right. And you get into that in that last kind of epilogue to your book in the play, mm-hmm. which I don't want to talk about because it's such a nice surprise. But mm-hmm. you do get into that. And it was really I, I like I really appreciated that. Um, but you. we'll leave that for the reader. We'll leave them a little nugget at the end. OK, this is the most important question that I ask every author mm-hmm. um, recently. I started doing this recently. It's my favorite question now. My favorite question used to be about snacks, but now it's this one. What is the word that you cannot spell correctly on the first try? Oh my gosh! There's a oh, there's a million. I <laughs> I spoke king uh, connoisseur. Um, oh wow! Connoisseur. I always, I'm always like it's connoisseur, and I'm like, okay, that's not helpful, Eric. I still don't know what that means. Um, recommend. That's my word. That's also uh, Samantha Irby's word. Oh my gosh! Of course, oh twins, all yes. of us were best friends. Triplets. Yeah. Hello. I have to, you know, like I write, I write blurbs a lot uh, for L for books that I love and TV shows. I write blurbs for books. And so I'm constantly writing recommend Mm -hmm. and I never know. I'm like two C's, two M's, two D's. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I've got, I'm, I've gone off the deep end with recommend. Now I just type REC and just like (laughs) wait and just do space and then just go back and wait for it to tell me the right answer because I, it's too depressing that I can't get it at this mm-hmm. age and knowing that mm-hmm. I write the word so many times because all I do is recommend books to people mm-hmm. all day. Mm-hmm. 
And so it, just, it won't stick in the brain. It's a bad word. It's a it's a messed up word. Whoever wrote it should be fired. <laughs> Whoever came up with it is done. You're fired. Goodbye. Um, okay, we just have a little bit more time, though. I would like to do this for years. We know what comes next for you. That was my next question, but I don't have to ask it. Um, oh, this is also very important for people who <laughs> love your book. What are some other books that you might recommend to them? Not necessarily uh, the same kind of book, but just something that you feel like speaks to your book is in conversation with can be similar, can be different, just wh- whatever that evokes in you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, Samantha Irby obviously is like the patron saint of like taking lemons and making them into hilarious lemonade. Right. Um, so we are never going to be we're never meeting in real life. Uh, her book is great. Wow. No, thank you. Is is amazing. Um, uh, I really recommend uh, recommend David Rakoff's Fraud. That was hugely okay. influential to me. Uh, and David Rakoff, unfortunately, you know, died relatively young. And so, you know, we don't we we don't have a lot of the work mm-hmm. that he was going to give us. Um, so I, 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 I but I really recommend Fraud. What else is in conversation? Um, I mentioned so many books in in the book. Uh, for whatever reason, like I'm thinking of The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin. Okay. If like it is a young adult mystery, um, but it's just so delightful. And it is, you know, delight is a thing that I tried to manifest in the book a lot. And it's hard, I think, to find delight, uh, you know, a lot in the present. Um, so I, I think that's definitely in conversation. And uh, I listened or I listened to a lot of talks by Jericho Brown and uh, Pulitzer Morgan. Prize winner Jericho right? Brown. Yes. Yes. Pulitzer Prize winner Jericho Brown. Um, I, I got to meet him um, and see him in person, do a reading. He's astounding. So um, I, the, the tradition was constantly sort of in the back of my mind. and I aspire to um, write anything like a fraction as good as any of his phrases. And Morgan Parker, I feel the mm-hmm. same way about um, and uh, particularly her book of poems, uh, Magical Negro. That's I feel like that's very much in conversation with this book or this book aspires to be in conversation with Magical Negro. I love that. Okay. This question is similar. What were the things that you, Eric, were consuming pop culture or books or movies or TV or whatever while you were actually writing this book? Hmm. Um, well, a lot of the book is sort of um, was me going back and making sure that I like the things I was remembering were actually uh, in existence. I was watching a lot of old Mr. Rogers uh, right. Neighborhood, um, which I believe is on Hulu now. Um, and, uh, a lot of Whitney Houston, when Houston discography is super important. Um, what else was I like consuming at that point? It was two years ago. I don't know. Oh, everything is such a blur. I, uh, (laughs) what is time? (laughs) Who knows? But yeah, those are my main, my main things. Yeah. And then like the poetry, you know, the work, I, I honestly, like when I can't, figure out the words to write, I, I turn to poetry and it makes me better every time. That's so nice. I like that. Oh, I'm... Dante Collins' uh, book, Autopsy. It's okay. hugely important to me. Um, it's a new book of poems. Um, um, and he's a young Black queer writer. And his his ability to be vulnerable and to be to describe emotions viscerally was like mind-blowing to me. Mm, I have to check that out. Okay, these are my last kind of two questions for you. The book's been out since February, right? Yeah. Have there been any reactions to the book that have been surprising to you? Um, I think I was surprised by, um, I, I was surprised that people had the reaction. I mean, you know, this is maybe it's going to sound silly, but I, I, I didn't know that people would embrace it as something that was both funny and heartfelt. Mm-hmm. I thought that people would either say like, it's not funny enough, or they would say, um, this is all just jokes. Who cares? You know? Mm. And the fact that people like I was laughing and crying on the same page. That's like the fact that like, that was a, a really a constant comment um, was a big surprise to me. There's an essay that is not funny at all. She's got herself a universe, um, which is, you know, I, I for me, uh, an essay that's about love um, and about grief and falling in love through grief. It's my favorite essay. It's not funny. And I thought that people would, would say like, this book is, great and then there's this weird little uh grief hole Hmm. um love story in the middle and instead people were like emailing me constantly about this essay yeah so that was a big surprise i felt the same way about that essay it's amazing it's incredible i was moved so moved by it so i'm glad it's in there and i think it it totally it 
it makes you a more rounded person to the reader. Like that mm-hmm. essay informs us so much about you and it comes early in the book. So mm-hmm. like there, it gives you a depth that if it wasn't there, I don't know how I would, I mean, I still would like the book, but I don't know how I would feel about you, right? Mm-hmm. Like it gives you a heart in a mm-hmm. way that the other essays that come after, like, it's like, I can keep going back to like this, this thing that I know about you, these things that I know about you. So oh. I think that's a really important essay in the collection as a whole. Um, I said last two questions, but I do have one more kind of mini question. Who is mm-hmm. the coolest person who's expressed interest or excitement about your book? Like that you know who's read it. I mean, Lin Manuel Miranda like Uh expressed like very early interest. His, I mean, he like he blurbed it and it's on the cover. Um, and that was mind blowing to me. Casey McQuinston, who wrote Red, White, and Royal Blue, which I'm obsessed with, has been so 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 kind. Um, uh, so yeah, those two. Um, um, yeah, and then like the entire staff of Parnassus Books in Nashville, like Hmm. Mary Laura Philpot, like uh, Sissy Gardner, Ann Patchett, like. All like all like I don't know what they're doing in their staff meetings, but they've also expressed this enthusiasm, and I'm like, oh my god, thank you. So it's been great. So cool. Okay, this is really the last one. If you could have one person, dead or alive, read the book, who would it be? Mm. Okay, well, there's an emotional answer, which is um, uh, my friend Electra, and uh, uh, I think. I would also very much love for um, Michelle Obama to read it um, because I think she would enjoy it. Um, I enjoyed becoming and I would like to return the favor in a small way. Uh, Yes, Michelle Obama. (laughs) Love her. Have you watched her documentary yet? I haven't. No, I've like I've read it. I've read that it's amazing. Um, but I listened to the audiobook of Becoming and that was that was me too. Oh, my God. It's so great to listen to. It was like, oh, Michelle's back. Yes, yes. This time in my ear, we're together again. Life is okay. Okay, everybody at home, I've been talking to our Eric Thomas. Goes by Eric. Don't get confused. His book is called Here for It or How to Save Your Soul in America. Eric, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. This was such a pleasure. It's so wonderful talking and meeting you. This was so great for me too. I love it. Um, You guys can get Eric's book. It's out in the world. You can get it wherever you get your books. I, of course, will link to his book and everything else we talked about today in the show notes so you can find it there. Eric, thank you. And everybody else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening today. And thank you to our Eric Thomas for being my guest. Remember, we will be discussing The Giver by Lois Lowry for the Stacks Book Club on Wednesday, May 27th with Sue Thomas, my mom. Find everything we discussed today in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to rate and review this show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from Tagirages. This podcast was created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. <laughs>